0: Welcome, everyone, to the Gov Navigator Show, a government focused program that won't make you seasick. We're the
1: Gov Navigators.
0: I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and
1: insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award winning podcast, FedHeads.
0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Gov Navigator show. Robert, how are you today?
1: I'm great, couldn't be better.
0: How about you? I'm fine. Late night for me. I don't know if you know but Taylor Swift's 1989 Taylor's Version album was released almost as big a deal. You were on the Sunday shows, The Circuit this week. Our friend
1: Francis Rose's show Fed Gov today. I'm glad you mentioned it. It was fun being back. In business with Francis Rose, though, I don't think my revenues will be the same as Taylor Swift's as a result of my appearance. That's true. Although that's a high bar to try to. It is. Actually, The Washington Post has done an analysis of the economics of Taylor Swift, like her impact on the national economy and her impact on the economies of those locations where she hosts a concert. Uh, They're significant. uh, President Biden should send her a gift basket or an edible arrangement or something. Again, I'm not sure that matches the impact, but would be a good gesture.
0: And you were on with Francis talking about OPM and their their move to become a more data-driven agency.
1: That's right. And there's a lot to talk about. I threw out some kudos to our friend Ted Kauk, CDO at OPM and chair of the CDO Council. He's really leveraging the platform OPM provides to share, report, analyze the data the data on the federal workforce. It's a really rich source of data, and they're doing a lot to hold OPM and agencies accountable for recruitment and retention, which has been a persistent challenge.
0: So we know you all saw that on Sunday morning, but if you missed it, it's still available. It's on YouTube. Check out it on GovNavigator's social media. You can find the link. Almost Um, as big a story. There's also
1: a new Speaker of the House. That's right, almost as big a story. We do have a new speaker of the house and thank god congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana
0: did uh, you did you have to check your notes there to remember his name I, nothing no shame in that I'm not, Susan Collins said she was going to have to
1: google him so look look we're recording so calling me out on that while we're recording is a faux pas of the highest order aren't we supposed to be on the same team we're crying out currently
0: I just, I mean, if you ranked all the members of the House of Representatives on most well-known to least well-known, he's got to be in the bottom 10.
1: I agree with you. He wasn't well-known until now. Now Mm. he's very well-known. And looking into more about him, he's actually proposed some substantive civil service reforms that may breathe some light into potential movement in that arena. That is fascinating. I don't think that's been in any of the coverage that I've read about him. Well, then you're not following government executive. I recommend it mm-hmm. highly. Dang. All right, I'll add actually,
0: that to my. I'll add that little publication to my list.
1: Actually, check out Sludge Daily. Uh, Eric Katz's article on some of the government reform proposals he's made are described there. It's a great insight into what we might see in that area. SludgeDaily.com. Bookmark it. What else? Um, Anything else from this week? Well, the administration released new small business contracting goals. So hopefully. That's of interest to some of our listeners. Raising from 11% this year to, to 13% in 2024, 15% in 2025, that percentage agency should set aside for contracting with small disadvantaged businesses.
0: Also available on the Gov Navigators social media and on sludgedaily.com.
1: It does go without saying, doesn't it? It if, should. If, it, if it's of interest to our listeners, you can find it at sludgedaily.com. And we've got a couple of my friends
0: up next as our guests. I'm excited to have everybody listen to what they're doing at the Commerce Department.
1: Fasten your seatbelts.
0: Robert, I'm pretty excited about the guests we have with us today. Uh,
1: quintessential for Cybersecurity Awareness Month.
0: Two individuals who I used to work with directly. And they came back? So, you know, they've either forgotten about our time together (laughs) or I still owe them money for something. No kidding. So with us today is Ryan Higgins. He is the chief information security officer and deputy CIO at the Department of Commerce and Trey Kennedy, who is a senior strategic advisor to the chief information security officer at Commerce. Ryan and Trey, thank you guys for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Looking forward to it.
1: Can't believe you found the time. (laughs) <laughs> lot going on in this space. Why don't we start just, why don't you tell everybody
0: out there in Navigators land a little bit about yourself, how you got involved working in cybersecurity in the federal government?
2: Sure. So I've been serving as a department in CISL in Seattle since I believe March of 2020. Interestingly enough, I began on the same day that there was a move to maximum telework in response, of course, to the COVID-19 pandemic. So that was very interesting in terms of entering a new department that I was not too familiar with and being in that remote posture. Where did I begin? I guess, like so many others, I began as a practitioner, you know, working everything from help desk and networking, network security, policy, you know, in various roles as a contractor, supporting different, you know, federal clients. And I did, in fact, land federal employment With one of those clients that I was working for. And I think that's where our paths crossed, uh, Adam. So, bottom line, I've been extremely fortunate uh, throughout the course of my career, had a lot of opportunities. A lot of folks really, you know, entrusted me and and took a chance on me. And for that, I'm very grateful. I think we owe it as leaders to do the same thing, take chances on folks. Perhaps they don't come from a traditional cyber background, but there's a lot of potential in terms of what they can do and contribute to helping us solve these very real problems. So it's been quite the journey. It's been quite the ride, and it's clearly not over just yet. So once again, happy to be here with you this afternoon.
0: Trey, I feel like you're navigating through this morass of the federal government employment
3: as somewhat similar. Similar, but different. So, you know, Ryan spoke about some folks with non-traditional backgrounds. I'm definitely one of those. So my master's is in international history with the focus on the Cold War and arms control. So, Makes perfect you know, I'm not sense. here. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, to- totally relates to-, to cybersecurity, but, you know, kind of I got into it kind of by way of chance in some in some forms, because, you know, I started off working for a small business for almost six years doing acquisition support, which is, you know, something that I didn't go to school thinking I would ever get involved with, did that, and then use that transition to a different contractor where I wound up supporting Mr. Hughes over at the federal CIO council as a contractor there for a couple of years. Mr. I'm looking behind uh, my shoulder now to figure out who's Mr. (laughs) Hughes. And then, you know, after a couple of years doing that, there was an opening on the council, and I went up getting hired into the federal government there at the council level, and that opened my doors for cybersecurity in a lot of ways. And then from there, did the unusual thing of going from the government wide role then to um, to an agency. So I went over to mm-hmm. Justice, was there for a little while before coming over here to Commerce. So I've been here for about three years now at Commerce. Actually, just hit my three year mark last month. It's been an exciting journey, and probably something that if you told you know me back in college or grad school that this is where I'd be in 2023, 2024, I wouldn't believe you.
1: Well, congratulations to both of you for taking the risks and making the sacrifices to do what you do. I want to talk about where you're doing it now. You've landed at one of the most interesting, diverse agencies that there is in the federal government. The diversity of missions is incredible. The data it houses across the enterprise are some of the most sensitive data sets that are in the possession of the federal government. But you've also got the The agency, the organization that sort of writes a lot of the standards by which security operates across the United States and the world, frankly. So talk about what it's like to drive greater and greater security at an enterprise like that.
2: You know, what you're hitting on is NIST, and I think it's a huge benefit to have NIST housed within commerce. I think they're just very, very strong partners. We've been working with them on a number of different things. And I think you're right. Commerce is a very diverse department, wide, varying missions. And what that does, Robert, is it requires deliberate and thoughtful coordination and recognition of each bureau's unique needs. But at the same token, we're trying to change the paradigm, right? I think our adversaries don't care that each bureau is unique. The department is a target. Let's just call it what it is. And it's imperative that we work together to protect our missions, which means communicating about uh, what we're seeing, leveraging economies of scale to buy enterprise capabilities ensuring our successes and challenges. I think what I'm getting at is a real cultural change within the department and having a one department approach to cybersecurity. We've got an FY2325 cybersecurity strategy. Andre Mendez, my boss at CIO, he's got a technical statement of direction and supported by recent OMB guidance, You know, we're really pushing for that enterprise visibility and insight. Once you have that visibility and insight, you can identify gaps, fill those gaps, and ultimately reduce risk. So that That's key, having that across-the-board view, centralize our data, understand our cybersecurity posture, and communicate where we are to leadership. I think that's key. Ryan,
0: you make it sound easy. <laughs> and I know it's not, and our listeners know it's not. What What are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered there?
2: easy no it's simple but you know we've got to adhere to you know what it is that we're trying to do i think some of the biggest challenges should be no surprise difference of opinion right i think it should be no surprise when you have a diverse department you have a difference of opinion i think the way you go about resolving that is you know you listen less to what you're saying and more to what the other person is trying to convey to you so i think you have to listen i think you have to be very open and forthright and candid about what you're trying to accomplish. I think you have to accept the fact that you may not have all the answers, right? I think the harsh reality is far too often, from a department perspective. We think we have all the answers, right? And we're no different, but at the same token, when a decision has to be made, we've got to move out. Achieving that balance of really taking in and listening to what your bureau customers are saying with the notion that you cannot have 12 different solutions. You just it's it's not sustainable it's not tenable and it's not economically feasible achieving that balance is not unlike adam and robert navigating that spectrum of being transactional and transformational where that happy medium is it depends but it's constantly aspiring to achieve that balance of listening to what your customers are saying and then making a decision based upon all the inputs and the data that you have
3: one thing i'd add there you know it's not just A lot of times in the federal government, you'll see the special snowflake, you know, oh, we're so unique, we're so special, we can't do this thing. And I think breaking that down and focusing in on, okay, what's the challenge we're trying to solve? What's the issue that's driving this? Comes down to the core of it, because for cybersecurity, like Ryan said, the adversary doesn't care if it's NIST, if it's NOAA, if it's PTO, or one of our smaller ones, like the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which has outsized impact given its size. And so... You know, we have to focus in on what are the core things we need to do to protect the department each and every day. And as long as we're laser focused on that, the differences in mission, I don't want to say that they're not as important, but those change the, maybe the customization or the implementation at the actual system level, but it doesn't change the overall objective. We're all still marching towards the same thing and we all have to be working together on those.
2: And key there also is being transparent, right? With what you're trying to accomplish and why. Right, because far too often it's this is what we're doing, but why are we doing it? goes back to Trey's question point of what's the problem that we're trying to solve? I mean, being transparent in what you're doing and why you're doing it, I think that goes a long way as well.
1: So you both alluded to the cultural change you're trying to accomplish. And the disparate organizations and missions is both an asset and a complexity of, of commerce. We mentioned that Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, how are y'all leveraging that? Is that a, a, a good time to sort of bring everybody together on message as to what you're trying to accomplish? So, I,
3: Cybersecurity Awareness Month is, is obviously something very important to us. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of raise awareness, and this year's the 20th anniversary of it. Huh. But really, this is a, our chance to kind of reinforce that messaging we use throughout the year. You don't just care about cybersecurity in October, it's not just one time a year thing. I think one of the things that I focus on, and your guest earlier in October hinted at, as Mitch Herkes said, it's about user experience. If you create cybersecurity implementations that are so challenging and obnoxious for people to overcome, they will figure out ways to bypass your security in ways you never thought were possible. I've used the line before that nobody's more motivated to overcome your security implementation than an individual who can't do their job. And I think Cybersecurity Awareness Month is a chance for us to kind of talk about that and use that to educate people, because when you introduce a new tool or a new method to so like use multi-factor authentication, for example, for a lot of folks, it sounds like a, an additional step, an additional chore, or, you know, something you have to do. But I think if you educate people about the benefits for it, why you do it, what's important about it, and how it helps to protect the department, they'll recognize that. You know, it's really not a big deal at the end of the day to do this. And you start baking in these common practices through there. We always talk about uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. At the end of the day, most cybersecurity breaches begin with people. And in the same vein, they're the first line of defense. You know, they get the phishing emails that make it through the filters. They will get to the social engineering attempts and all that. And it's really important that you don't have that culture of blaming people for it because everybody makes mistake. And so we have to use this as the point to educate people. And on the second part, you've got to have that multi-layered defense so that knowing somebody is going to make a mistake, that doesn't give them the keys to the kingdom. And I think that's been a big focus for us lately is emphasizing that, yes, you have a role, but we're not only relying upon individuals to be perfect 100% of the time through this. And then I think the last part really that we're focused on is It's not just responding to the specific attack vector that we're highlighting in our messaging. Our goal is to teach people how to be critical consumers of these things coming in. So if you get a suspicious email, even if it's not formatted like the one that came in your phishing test, they understand, oh, this is what I should be looking for. This is why I should be skeptical of it. Having folks understand that it's not just about responding to that specific thing, but about arming them and teaching them about how to be smarter online
2: Something else to consider here is sure it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, but we want to make sure that this is a continual effort, right? It's not just one and done. A lot of time, effort and resources goes into continually, you know, assessing systems, right? Remediating vulnerabilities. What are we doing to continually educate our customer base on the threats that exist as it relates to them trying to do their job on a day to day basis? Because they're soft targets. I mean, those are the, the individuals that are being you know, targeted in terms of trying to, you know, compromise our systems. What are we doing to educate them on a continual basis? That's the question. I think we should spend just as much time, effort, and resources as educating people, as we do securing the very systems that help us carry out our mission. It's an opportunity that we should seize at every cost. Trey, you brought up a previous
0: GovNavigator show guest, our friend Mitch at OMB. I'm not going to To test you guys, if you have the same knowledge that he does on OMB memo numbers and EO numbers. I'll happily go Um, talk with him. (laughs) I feel like you can. I feel like you can. But but he also said something both alluded at, which is most attacked, most vulnerabilities are you try to exploit the person. Talk about how you're utilizing your staffing and people in cyber at Commerce to help move the mission forward.
2: Go for it, Trey.
3: I mean, I think it's important, kind of like we were talking about, right? It's about teaching people about this, and I, we don't want to create a culture of paranoia or people thinking, "Oh, everybody's out to get me every time I get this weird email." We try and do is, it's just, I think one of the previous cybersecurity awareness month campaigns was always focused on stop and then think, yeah. and you know, all of us are moving so fast every day in in our daily lives in terms of work, in terms of the flurry of notifications we all get on our phones all the time. And so often the quick reaction is just hit the button, you know, and do that. And having folks understand kind of that there's processes that you follow and that these aren't processes that are designed to be cumbersome for you. It's processes that are designed to protect you at the end. Really, at the the end of the day, the zero trust approach is designed to kind of go away from assuming that you can protect everything at the edge. There are always ways to get around the technology that's in place but you can never get rid of the people in that process. And so what you have to do is you have to set it up so that if that person is doing something that's unusual, you can catch it. And again, it's not trying to be obtrusive for that individual. Maybe it's just as simple as we detected you logged in from a computer you've never logged in before, and we send you a text message. A lot of us are familiar with if we're traveling abroad, or we're traveling to a different state, our credit card company will call us and be like, hey, you just made a purchase. That's unusual. We don't think twice about it when the bank does it. But for some reason, people find it unusual if you do that when you're working, if you get this this unusual call. And
0: having that fascinating dichotomy,
1: it's a fascinating dichotomy.
0: No, no, and, and Trey, you were talking earlier, too, about let's make it easy for people to adopt good practices. And I feel like even just for me, my change when the bank or whoever did that originally was, this is annoying, but now when I get it, I feel comforted by it because I know that they're on top of it, right? They're checking to make sure that I'm protected. And that I've noticed that change just in the last two, three years for me. I think, Brian, you are going to say something
2: too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No. And then part of that is in advance messaging to the customer community that this is what we're doing to better serve you, to better protect you so that when you do receive these messages, you don't have that unsettling feeling that you were just describing. Yep. But also it kind of ties into the what are we doing to get out of our world and go into the customer community world. We're so very compartmentalized. We're focused on getting our work done as we should be. But I think in order to better serve the customer community, I think we need to spend more time with the customer community to articulate what we're doing, why we're doing it and how it helps them so that it's not just a matter of them feeling shamed. To call, you know, our, our SOC or, or the services, whomever, when something happens. Uh, there are partnerships that we should be forging within our organizations, right? That perhaps those are opportunities that are being missed. I think all in all, you know, spending more time with the customer community to educate them on what we're doing, why we're doing it, and making sure that there's no shame when they reach out to us, even if it's just a question, I think I did something wrong. Well, let's have that conversation.
1: So we talked a lot about the culture across the enterprise. But before we got on, we talked a lot about the people and the tools you've got Mm -hmm. at your disposal to get your job done. Talk Mm -hmm. about whether you've got all the assets, including the human capital you need to get the job done.
2: I think people speak in terms of three things, right? People, processes, and technology. And I think what we've seen is a huge emphasis on the technology. I think the equivalent, if not greater, could and should be focused on the people. And I say that because absent the people, how are you going to get your job done, right? Absent people laying eyes on glass to really discern whether or not something is a challenge. How are you going to get your job done? It's no surprise that we're competing amongst other departments and agencies and the private sector to land that premium talent. And, And the question becomes, what are the intangibles that we can put forth to convince someone to come work for our respective departments and agencies? We know this, but so much that you can pay someone. So what's the differentiator? How do you how do you move the needle and, and incentivize them to come work for you? That's a real problem that we need to solve for. And once you have those folks working for you, how do you keep them? How do you retain? Them? What are you doing to develop them into sure that they have the skill sets that they need to maybe become a leader in a particular discipline, maybe become a subject matter expert in a particular discipline. I think you, you hear a lot of cybersecurity strategies, what have you, but you know, I think workforce strategies, I think that's key. And if we squander or do not seize this opportunity, I think we're going to find ourselves not making the progress that we thought we would.
3: And I think that also speaks to kind of expanding beyond your traditional pools. I mean, I'm a perfect example of that coming from a history background. History
1: majors. History majors is a big pool you all are pursuing.
3: Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, one of the things that I always think of through my education, a lot of history is storytelling. At the end of the day, it's about stitching together a series of facts and events to tell a compelling story about what happened and understand the drivers behind it and all that. That's something that's often lacking, I find, in the IT and cyberspace, is we do things, and Ryan talks about this, we're in our world. We know this is the right thing to do. But we have to convince people, the budget analysts, the procurement folks, the mission people, no, you should do this and here's why. And the ability to communicate that effectively to them is very important. And I think a lot of times, you know, you will hear about people saying, well, it's just the right thing to do. Lots of things are the right thing to do, especially in cybersecurity, but you've got to highlight for them why you should do it and why it protects the department.
2: Right. Well, worse off, because I said so. That's why. And 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 this is my role, and I've got this title, and I said do it, so you need to do it. That's a non-starter. Something else, you know, as I reflect back on the first question that you asked, I think it was, Adam, I had the privilege and the good fortune of serving in different capacities at Justice. Served in cyber, of course, I served leadership positions in policy and planning, which case you're dealing with HR, budget, finance, what have you, and engineering as well. And what you realize is oftentimes these people aren't bad. They just don't understand your world. And also, you don't understand their world. So I Mm -hmm. think there's a real opportunity for us to, if we really want to be serious about this, understand other people's world, right? Because the fact that they're not doing something, there could be a very valid reason you just don't know what it is, and they don't know how to articulate it to you. So I think yep. that that's yep. something else to keep in mind.
0: You're reminding me of the Ted Lasso, be curious, not judgmental yeah. scene in the bar when he beats him at darts afterwards. Anyway, it's one of my favorite yeah. scenes. We're out of time. It's a fast 20 minutes, and yeah. this has been fantastic to have you both on. Really appreciate you making the
2: time to come on the show. Pleasure is all ours. Thank you, uh, Adam and Robert. Take care. Thank you.
1: Thank you yeah. both for your service.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: All right, that was a good, meaty, menacing discussion. It was, um, and and very important uh, to end Cybersecurity Awareness Month with. What are you looking forward to this week? Well, right now, Robert, we are up in sunny
0: Hershey, Pennsylvania, at ActiX Imagination 2023 hashtag ELC23 conference. Easy for you to say. <laughs> it
1: really wasn't. <laughs> Imagination Nation. According to the act uh president, Dave Winnegrun, this is one of the highest attended ELCs in act history. It just shows you how hungry people are to get together. And it's great to see everybody from the IT government management community getting serious about some major issues. AI is all over the place, but also just networking with folks. It's great. The happy hour scene is Substantial. What's your costume for the party tonight? Uh, I'm supposed to have a
2: costume.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm dressing up as Luke from Gilmore Girls this year with my wife.
1: So maybe I'll go as that. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go as a speaker. I'm going to put a big speaker over my head, to end the speaker. <laughs> That's the level of hilarity you sh- you've come to expect here at GovNavigators. But another event I'm looking forward to later in the week is the annual get together of those who worked on uh, enactment of and implementation of the government performance and results act as you know it's just we've passed its 30th anniversary and that uh, the folks get together at the back bar at the old epic grill and so halloween night there will be i'm sure you got an invitation i
0: think it must have gotten lost in the mail i i was in a junior in high school when that was passed so you know,
1: you know I mean, there are very few things you say on the show that really irritate me, but that that's top of the list. Maybe I can post. Can I get an invitation? I'll see. You could bring the average age of the group down by like 20 years. So, I guess I, I should ask who's going to be there first before I decide I want to go to this. We've also got Martin O'Malley's confirmation hearing. He's nominated for Social Security Commissioner, as folks know, and he's... Got his hearing before the Senate Finance Committee on Thursday. I'll be there, rooting him
0: on. Good friend of Gov. Navigator's. Honestly, couldn't really think of a better person for that job right now at this point in time for Social Security. No. And assuming he would, he will be confirmed, which I think most people do. I think he's eminently qualified. He's gonna have his hands full.
1: Yep, he definitely will. He definitely will.
0: So we, um, we wish him the best and good luck on Thursday. Busy week. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the
1: Gov Navigator Show, brought to you by GovNavigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you
0: want to know more about us and what we're up to, please follow us on social media or visit GovNavigators.com.
1: Ahoy! Oh, jeez.